the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Today on Cornerstone Connection with Pastor Gary Hamrick. As long as it suits their appetites for their carnal, fleshly, instinctive nature, they don't want to hear what is right and what is wrong. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. If they're deathly ill and a doctor, for example, says, I have a cure for you. Here's the pill. Take it. They will take it in a heartbeat and they will accept what that doctor says as truth. And they will not look at that doctor, guarantee you and say, are there any other options? Because it's pretty narrow minded to offer me only one cure. People accept truth when it suits them. This is Cornerstone Connection, the radio ministry of Pastor Gary Hamrick of Cornerstone Chapel in Leesburg, Virginia. Pastor Gary is teaching through 1 Corinthians. Our culture is afraid of absolutes, but truth is not subjective. Even areas that would have never been considered indisputable, such as gender and sexuality, are now debated and brought into question. As Pastor Gary will remind you in today's message, there is absolute truth. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. God designed and created this universe. Though the world may not want to accept their sinfulness and need for Him, there will come a time when everyone's eyes will be opened. And the truth will be revealed. At the close of Pastor Gary's message today, I'll be sharing with you how you can get a copy of today's broadcast of Cornerstone Connection. Subscribe to the podcast or get in touch with us. But for now, let's join Pastor Gary in the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 12 with today's edition of Cornerstone Connection. Spirit has personage. He is the third part of the Trinity, that Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just as Jesus used pronouns to describe him, so we need to understand the Holy Spirit is not some mystical, you know, force. It's, uh, and even though the, the good old King James Version refers to him as the Holy Ghost, the Holy Ghost. Uh, I don't want you to just necessarily just think of him as some kind of a, you know, this mystical floating kind of ghost-like creature, all right? He is part of the Godhead, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and Jesus uses personal pronouns to describe him. And secondly, he has all the attributes of personality. He has a mind. 1 Corinthians 2.11 says, For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the man's spirit within him? In the same way, no one knows the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. He has a mind. He has a will. In 1 Corinthians 12.11, it says, speaking, we read it a moment ago, speaking about all these gifts. All these are the work of the one and the same Spirit, and He gives them to each one just as He determines, or New King James says, just as He wills. He has a will, and He wills to give certain gifts to certain people. 
Not everybody has every gift, but together we complement each other within the body of Christ. That's what he writes in the rest of chapter 12. And also the Holy Spirit has emotion. Because in Ephesians 4.30 it says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. So it is possible to grieve the the Holy Spirit. He has emotion. Number two, the only other point I want to make, and then we'll we'll move on to the gifts themselves, but the Holy Spirit has always existed being co-equal and co-eternal with God because He is God. And so three quick sub-points to this to understand. He was there at creation. All the way back in Genesis 1-2, it says, Now the earth was formless and empty, darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. We see Him present at creation. But we also understand that he empowered specific people in the Old Testament times. Even though we're speaking about the Holy Spirit in the context of the New Testament, and the first time that the fullness of the Holy Spirit comes is in Acts chapter 2, the Holy Spirit has always been present, being co-equal and co-eternal with God the Father, and we see him on assignment, if you will, in the Old Testament. There were many people who were filled individually by God's Spirit as God determined. The Bible says that Moses was filled with the Spirit of God. The Bible says that King Saul was filled by the Spirit of God and even prophesied. The Bible says that David was filled by the Spirit of God. And so there were many people in the Old Testament. But the differences between the times of the Old Testament and the New Testament is that the Holy Spirit only was assigned by God on specific individuals as necessary. Now, since the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2... The Holy Spirit is available to all who call upon the name of the Lord. And that's the third point to this, that He, the Holy Spirit, has become available to all believers since the time of Pentecost. That's Acts chapter 2. And so there's this difference between the indwelling of the Spirit and the overflowing baptizing work of the Spirit, which we'll get into a little bit through the next uh, couple of weeks. Uh, But nevertheless, the difference is now, through knowing Christ... God's Spirit comes within you when you accept Christ as your Savior. And so that the work of the Spirit is available to all who believe in Jesus Christ versus the Old Testament where He only came to those upon assignment. So that's the importance about uh, the Holy Spirit in terms of who He is. Let me talk just a little bit about the role of the Holy Spirit. Four things I want to share with you about the role of the Holy Spirit. Here are the first, here's the first thing. Jesus tells us in John 16, 8, that the role of the Holy Spirit, one of the roles of the Holy Spirit, is to convict the world of sin. This is what John 16, 8 says. Jesus said, when he comes, meaning the Spirit, he will convict the world of guilt in regard to sin and righteousness and judgment. If, if you've ever gotten under conviction and you, you've realized, man, I've done, I've done some stuff that's displeased God, and you're convicted about sin in your life, The reason you were convicted about sin in your life is because that was the work of God's Spirit working in your heart. Don't despise conviction. That's a good thing. Because that's the Holy Spirit reminding you and bringing to your attention that this is grievous to God. And so that's one of the work of the Holy Spirit, to convict us of sin. Secondly, Jesus said also the Holy Spirit will guide us into all truth. In John 16, 13, Jesus says, but when he, the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. He will not speak on his own. He will speak only what he hears and he will tell you what is yet to come. So the Holy Spirit will guide us into truth. Now, it's interesting because 
back a couple of chapters, and you can turn if you want, 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Back in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, Paul even said that if you don't have the Spirit, you won't accept the things of the Spirit. And this is what he said, 1 Corinthians 2.14. The man without the Spirit does not accept the things that come from the Spirit of God, for they are foolishness to him, and he cannot understand them because they are spiritually discerned. In other words, when you come into relationship with Christ and the Spirit of God then bears witness with your spirit, you will come to understand truth in a fresh way. Because presently, in case you haven't noticed, if you start going around talking about truth with people who don't have the Spirit of God to discern truth, they're going to think you're narrow-minded and intolerant. Because they don't have the Spirit of God to bear witness with truth. And so you start talking truth... And people will accuse you of being you're narrow-minded, you're bigoted, you're intolerant. Where's your love? I thought you were a Christian. Okay, because truth sometimes cuts to the heart. And truth can be offensive only in the sense that by the very nature of the definition of truth, it is exclusive. And when you start talking in exclusive claims, in absolute terms, people will look at you and they will say those things about you. You are intolerant, you are wrong, you are bigoted, and all this kind of nonsense. You know, when Jesus stood before Pontius Pilate in John 18, 37, Jesus said to Pilate, just before Jesus was crucified, he said, everyone on the side of truth listens to me. Everyone on the side of truth listens to me. But you see, the human race has been on a quest of truth. A quest to find truth. Socrates, Aristotle, Plato, you know, all of this. And in fact, uh, Pilate's response to Jesus when he said that, he said, quid est veritas in Latin, what is truth? You know, you speak about truth, but what is truth? Well, he was just echoing the words of the philosophers of his day. The idea that there are, there are no moral absolutes and, you know, nobody should be definitive about truth. What is truth? And we're living in a time where increasingly so, people just seem to make truth whatever they want it to be. And so people can decide for themselves, it seems, these days, uh, what they think is right and what they think is wrong. And every single person has to come to the place. And I just settled it a long time ago. That, if, In fact, the Bible tells us in John 14, 6, Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. He didn't say, I'm a way. I'm a truth. He made an exclusive claim. I'm the way that you get to the Father. I'm the way you get to heaven. I'm the truth. And I'm the life, and no man comes to the Father but by me. And that I settled years ago that what Jesus said is true, and I believe what he said is true, and therefore I pass everything through the grid of Jesus, that he is the standard for truth, and I evaluate even things in our culture, forgetting what people in our culture say is right or wrong, true or false. I look at it through the grid of God's word and through who Jesus is and decide for myself, irrespective of whatever the other people might say in defining what is right or wrong. Well, what does Jesus say about this? And, and, and I always want to fall on the side of what Jesus says, defining what is right and wrong, what is true and what is false. And when you start to stand up for stuff, stuff and saying, no, no, this is right and this is wrong, again, you're going to rub people the wrong way because people want to be more, quote, open-minded to that. It is ridiculous because I guarantee you in a day of need, they will want to know what is right and wrong. But as long as it suits their appetites for their carnal, fleshly, instinctive nature, they don't want to hear what is right and what is wrong. What do I mean by that? What I mean by that is this. If they're deathly ill and a doctor, for example, says, I have a cure for you. Here's the pill. Take it. They will take it in a heartbeat and they will accept what that doctor says as truth. And they will not look at that doctor, guarantee you and say, are there any other options? Because that's pretty narrow minded to offer me only one cure. People accept truth when it suits them. 
And it is not narrow-minded for a doctor to offer, here's the only prescription that will help you and cure you and is the remedy for, for your situation. People embrace that because they, they see their desperate need, and here's the answer. The reason why people reject truth in our day, they have not yet seen their desperate need. When people get to the bottom of themselves, can anybody relate? Is this any of our testimonies? When people get to the bottom of themselves, then they cry out for what is truth. The Bible says in John chapter 1 that the word Jesus became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld his glory. The glory is of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and what? And truth. Jesus is all about truth. And Jesus says that the Holy Spirit will guide you into that truth, and that we will have an understanding of truth because the Holy Spirit bears witness to our souls about what true truth is. Okay, so though we're living in a relative world, let the Spirit of God bear witness to your spirit about what truth is and stand for truth. You don't have to be arrogant and abrasive about it, but you can just be truthful about it. And the Holy Spirit will bear witness to your spirit about what is true. Jesus also said this, that the role of the Holy Spirit is to testify of and glorify Jesus, in John 15, 26, Jesus says, When the Counselor comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the Spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me. How do we come to understand who Jesus really is? It's the Spirit of God working in us to testify to who he is. And John 16, 14, Jesus said, He will bring glory to me, Jesus said, by taking from what is mine and making it known to you. Now, this is, this is the, the, the issue that I have with uh, and, you know, I don't want to offend the card-carrying charismatics because, I, you know, I, I, I fully believe in the gifts of the Spirit. By the way, the word charismatic comes from the Greek word gifts. The Greek word for gifts is charismata. So that's where we get that term. But some, sometimes, okay, I want to be careful I don't, you know, use a broad brush. Sometimes among the staunch charismatics, the reason that this is an important distinction is, is that we have to be careful that everything about the Spirit and the gifts of the Spirit point people to Jesus. It's about Jesus. It's about glorifying Jesus. It is not about exalting the Spirit. It is not about using the gifts of the Spirit to, to be exalted in self. Okay? Sometimes people use the gifts of the Spirit like it's some kind of a cosmic poker game. You know, well, I, I, have the, I have the gift of tongues. You do? Well, I have the gift of interpretation and healing, and I'll raise you the gift of knowledge. You know, and we go around playing. What, what in the world are we doing? It's, it's about Jesus, and everything about the Spirit of God should be pointing people to Jesus. And when the gifts become more central than Jesus, or the Spirit becomes more exalted than Jesus, it's not a true reflection of the work of the Spirit. Because Jesus said that the Spirit will not only testify of me, but will bring glory to me. And then the fourth thing that's important to understand before we you know, head into this chapter here is that the role of the Spirit is to indwell and empower believers for salvation and service. So in John 14, 17, Jesus said regarding the Spirit of truth, the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you. Now, Jesus says this to his disciples just before he is crucified. He says there in John 14, 17, he says, The world cannot accept the Spirit, okay, because it doesn't know him yet. He says to his disciples, But you know him, and he shall be, and, and he is with you, he says, and he shall be in you. Okay, now, Jesus was saying to his own disciples, 
You're aware of the Spirit, and He's with you. He's wooing you to bring you into a relationship with Jesus. And there's going to be a day that He comes in you. Now, when was that day that the Holy, that, that the Holy Spirit came in the disciples? That day happened uh, when Jesus um, appeared to them after His resurrection. If you want to go back to John chapter 20, I'll look at it real quickly with you. In John chapter 20, Jesus appears to his disciples. This is after he rose from the dead. He appears to his disciples. And, and they're meeting, you know, together in this room. The doors are locked and Jesus suddenly appears to them. John 20, 21. And it says, and Jesus said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. That is the moment in time when the disciples, for all intents and purposes, became believers. They became born again because they beheld the resurrected Christ. They believed in the resurrected Lord, the finished work of the, of the, of the cross. Jesus comes to them there in that room. He says in John 20, 21, receive the Holy Spirit. How many of you believe that if Jesus said receive the Holy Spirit, they received it, right? Okay. They received the Holy Spirit. But now here's what's interesting. That was receiving the Holy Spirit for the indwelling of God's Spirit. When you get saved, meaning when you come into relationship with Christ as your Savior, you get Jesus, and the Trinity is not separated, so you get the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes to dwell within you. That's when Jesus said, receive the Holy Spirit. His disciples received the Spirit of God, and they believed in the finished work of Christ. Okay, now here's where some of your traditions are going to be challenged a little bit, because some of you were taught... So when you get saved, and you get God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, you got all that there is, and there isn't anything more than that. But if that were the case, then why is it? Now we can go to Acts chapter 1. Now this is after John 20. So Jesus now is ready to ascend back to heaven. And in Acts chapter 1... Verse 7, he said to them, same disciples, it is not for you to know the times or dates the Father is sent by his own authority, because they wanted to know when will the kingdom of, of God come. He says in verse 8, but you will receive power. The word in the Greek is dunamis. We get our English word dynamite. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of of the earth. He speaks about the fullness, the power of the Holy Spirit coming upon them. If you go up a couple of verses further up on verse 4 of Acts 1, in verse 4 he says, on one occasion while he was eating with them, he gave them this command, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Wait, wait, wait a minute. I, I thought back in John 20 they received the Holy Spirit. Well, they did. They received the indwelling of the Holy Spirit when they believed in Jesus. As Everybody who believes in Jesus receives the indwelling of the Spirit. But there in Acts 1.4 and in Acts, Acts 1.8, Jesus speaks of the fullness or the baptizing work of the Spirit, which is greater than just the indwelling work of the Spirit. That there is actually this empowering work of God's Spirit, more than just the indwelling work of God's Spirit. So... To indwell and empower believers for salvation and service, that's point number four. This is important to understand because the work of the Holy Spirit, He comes in us when we get saved. 
But then there can be this baptizing, empowering work of God's Spirit. And when that happens, the gifts of God's Spirit become manifest in our lives. Go back now to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Okay, so the, the, the believers here at the church at Corinth, they had the indwelling and empowering work of God's Spirit, but they didn't understand the proper function of the gifts of the Spirit. And so Paul now was going to break down the function, the purpose of the Spirit. And I want you to notice that in the first 11 verses that we just read here, Paul talks about the diversity of the gifts of the Spirit. Notice again, verse 4, there are different kinds of gifts, all right? He talks about the diversity of the gifts of the Spirit, but he also emphasizes the unity of the work of the Spirit. Because no less than five times in the first 11 verses, he talks about the same Spirit, same Spirit, same Spirit. And then he even throws in once, same Lord, and once, same God. Okay, let let me focus on it again with you. Look again at verse 4. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same Spirit. There are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of workings, but the same God works all of them and all men. And then he talks interspersed through the list from verses 7 through 11 about how there's this gift, but the same Spirit. And then there's this other gift, but the same Spirit. So he speaks about the diversity of the gifts of the Spirit, but he at the same time speaks about the unity of that same Spirit. So the manifestation might occur with various gifts, but we're talking about the same Holy Spirit. There are two purposes to spiritual gifts, and this is an important distinction. Two purposes for spiritual gifts. One is for the edification of the church. If you just flip on over a couple of chapters to chapter 14, in verse 26... 1426, what then shall we say, brothers, when you come together, everyone has a hymn or a word of instruction, a revelation, a tongue or an interpretation. All of these must be done for the strengthening of the church. All right, for the edification of the church. There's something about the gifts of the Spirit that we'll understand more when we get through this passage that help to build up and strengthen and edify the body of Christ. All right, so that's one purpose. And then the second purpose is for the glorification of God. And I'll read this passage to you. It's out of 1 Peter 4, 10, and 11. Peter says, Each one should use whatever gift he has received to serve others, faithfully administering God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, he should do it as one speaking the very words of God. If anyone serves, he should do it with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ To him be the glory and power forever and ever. Amen. So these two purposes for the gifts of the Spirit. Why did God give gifts of the Spirit to the church? For the edification of the church, because in the function of the gifts, in the proper function of the gifts, the body of Christ is built up. We'll talk about that more as we make our way through the chapters. And God is glorified. Through the proper use of the gifts, when the body of Christ is functioning together, it brings glory to God. Because he sees how the various parts within the body of Christ, within the church, uses the gifts that God has given him or her uniquely and individually, functioning together, and God is glorified. Now, when they don't function together and when there's misuse of the gifts, guess what? God is not honored. God is not glorified. He's not pleased.
The Apostle Paul's message to the church in Corinth was frank and powerful. They needed to make some changes. They knew the truth of Christ because Paul had spent time planting the seeds of truth. They had begun to walk in the ways of Jesus, but they had let lies taint their steps. Those lies are common still today. Is there something you've heard from a spiritual leader that just hasn't sat right in your soul? Don't let it take root. Instead, take it to the Bible and to your Heavenly Father. Allow Him to show you what is right and what isn't, and then grow in His perfect truth and love. We're so glad you joined us today on Cornerstone Connection. Pastor Gary Hamrick will continue teaching through 1 Corinthians when you join us next time. But for now, we'd like to invite you to visit cornerstoneconnection.cc to learn more about this ministry. You'll be able to hear past teachings, connect with us on social media, and learn more about the church this program originates from. If you're in the Leesburg area, we'd love to meet you. Come visit us this Sunday at 8.30, 10, or 11.45 a.m. at Cornerstone Chapel. You'll find directions and more information on our website. Again, that's cornerstoneconnection.cc. We're excited to have you join us. Thanks for tuning in today. And we hope you'll join us again right here on Cornerstone Connection. No place to go, but still you know, you're not Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.